stories of Elijah and Elisha, which are found in the books, First and Second Kings. You're coming in at the next to last. Yeah, we can do that. Try. See if it does anything. I thought I had propped it up. That's better. Thank you. That's ministry, guys. See how he got involved there? No, we're going to have to fix that because... Anyway, so today is our next to last, penultimate, I guess, uh, story. And um, it's actually like six stories. And it's actually a little bit too much to talk about today. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to talk about... I'm going to paraphrase the stories that are found in these books because uh, it's really, like I said, six, depending on how you count, maybe even more. Uh, stories about Elisha and the things he's doing. Um, and then I'm going to focus on one because I think it's the one that we need to hear from. And a reminder that, like, you know, this is what Elijah was serving, and then he took Elisha on as kind of his, his trainee. Now Elisha is serving as the prophet, and the prophet was fulfilling this role. He heard and spoke on behalf of God to the people. He's called out into idolatry and injustice, and he challenged the people to repent and follow the Torah. So that was kind of their main uh, gist of what they were doing, and you find that in all of these stories, there's some element of these things happening, um, except for uh, maybe one. This, the first one is a little bit unique in one sense. Also, uh, you're going to keep these guys in mind, because we're about to start going through the book of Mark, and we studied the Exodus, and it was all about Moses. Now we've talked about Elijah and Elisha, and you're going to see at the end of the book of Mark, or in kind of the two-thirds point, there's a special time where Jesus encounters both these guys, and what these guys are doing now informs how you understand that situation that Jesus gets into, and it's important. <clears throat> so let's go into the first story. Like I said, I'm going to paraphrase all of these and then uh, go back to one. So story one, what happens to this is Elijah or Elisha has these guys, they're working on some stuff, and they're like, hey, let's go cut down some poles and make some new place. Go, oh, that's a good idea. And so they're cutting down some poles, like trees, along the, like, the river or whatever, and the guy breaks his axe, and the axe head falls in the river. And he's like, oh, man, that's not mine. Like, I borrowed that from a guy. And he's like, Elisha. He's like, no, no problem. He throws, uh, throws something in the water, and then the axe head floats up, and the guy gets it. That's not how axe heads normally act. And like I said last week, when we went through a bunch of stories about Elisha, it was like, life with God is not business as normal or business as usual. And so that's a big takeaway from this first one is that, you know, Impossible situations become solvable when God's involved, because God's involved. This is a good thing to remember. The second story is the one we're going to skip, and we're going to come back to this one. So the third story, and it's kind of uh, the, all these stories start to flow together, these third three through five. Um, there's famine again hits the land, and it's terrible. Like in this story, there's like even two women that like make an agreement together to like eat their children. and It's a really bad story. You can sign up for our everyday emails, and Kevin will walk you guys through this this week. I don't know what his prayer point will be for the eating of children part, but it was that bad. The point is that it was super bad, and they were just despairing. And when the king hears about this kid thing, he's like, this is terrible. But he blames Elisha. He's like, it's got to be the prophet's fault, so I'm going to go. I need to kill him. And Elisha sends a word back to him, because he, he, Elisha knows what's going on. And he's like, hey guys, there's the king's sending a guy to like to like talk to us about this. And they're like, what? And he's like, yeah. And so he's like, send him back this message. By tomorrow, this whole thing will be over, which was impossible because it had been going on for a long time and to the point that people were eating. It was like really messed up. And then he's like, it'll be over by tomorrow. By tomorrow, this won't even, like you won't even remember. And they're like, what are you talking about? Again, this is crazy, not solvable. And the guy who he tells it to, to tell him, he's like, even if like somehow magically everything worked out, what you're saying wouldn't be possible. It's not, you can't fix it that fast. And he's like, okay, well, 
it's going to happen, but you're not going to be able to take part in it. You'll see it, but you're not going to be able to take part in it. And so the story kind of moves on. There's some guys that are lepers. They're um, suffering. They're dying outside the city because they, they can't go around people because they're sick and everything. And they're like, well, here we are dying. Everybody in the city is dying. So, you know, normally <laughs> we're, we're, they're kind of just in a bad spot. But they're like, no matter what we do, we die. So, you know, the Arameans, the bad guys, we could, like, go over there and see what they got. Worst case, they kill us, which we're going to die anyway. Like, we're going to die of leprosy, or we're going to die here because there's famine. Like, let's at least see if, best shot, let's go over here and find these guys, right? So there's this camp of Arameans that are thinking about invading and everything. And these guys just walk over there. There's just a handful of guys, and they're sick. They're not even doing well. But they're like, what could it hurt, you know? So they walk over, and as they're walking, God causes it to sound like an army coming. And then the Arameans are like, oh get out of here so they all run off and like leave all their stuff all their stuff and then like it says they even left like more stuff as they're running away so the guys kind of come up and they're like is, any, is anybody here like why is it and they're like yay and it's like that part in the you know where like Mary and Pippin are eating all the stuff in the two towers you know, or the beginning of the third one I don't know I get the time yeah sorry they're eating all the stuff but they're like it would be bad for us to keep this all like everybody's starving back where we came from we gotta at least tell them about it you know and so they go back to tell them, like, hey, y'all, FYI, everybody's starving. There's, like, a whole lot of stuff over here we could just have, you know. But the king of Israel is like, hold on a second. If I was going to attack somebody, I would probably hide, all, like, act like I did that, knowing how desperate they are, and then wait as soon as they come and get the stuff, and then we'll, like, jump on them, you know. And then so he's like, I don't know if I trust this. So he said, send a couple guys. Cause like, he's like, and he says to those guys kind of the same thing as the leper guys. He's like, what do you got to lose? You're going to die here. Might as well die doing something interesting. So go out and see what's... And then they go like, no, it's actually legit. And then they go and get all the stuff, all the stuff. And they say that they even like follow after like where they went. And they were like dropping stuff as they went. It was almost like a movie, you know. And so exactly what Elisha says happens. The next, by the next day, like everybody's got plenty of everything. You know, God just had given it to them. And that guy that, you know, Elisha said, he doesn't, he ends up dying. So he doesn't end up getting to, he gets to see it, but he doesn't get to partake in it. And then you move on to, you remember the Shunammite woman who um, had made Elijah a room and, or they, and her son had been raised from the dead with, you know, Elisha had come and like laid on him and all this kind of thing. And like, so she's back in the story. He, he gave her a warning. He's like, hey, there's going to be a famine for a minute. Might want to get out of here. So she leaves for a while. And then she comes back and she, they're talking about her like, you know, Elijah and Elisha done a lot of really cool stuff. And. And the king's like, wow, really? And then she's like, oh, this is the same lady I was just telling you about. And she's like, he's like, what do you want from me? And she's like, well, can I have all my like, land back? And he's like, yeah, you can. And so he restores that. So that's one of the stories. And then this is kind of setting up for the next week. So then the end of this, the, the sixth story, which is kind of a collection of stories, is just a set of kings that Israel and Judah just keep having bad kings. And he keeps saying, like, this guy was a bad guy. And then this other guy, he became the king of Israel. And he's a bad guy. And then he's also a bad guy. And it reminded me of, like, just, you know, competing for who could be badder. And it reminded me of this. It's just like, who's bad? <laughs> and so this is about where they're at. That's going to be the setup for next week. Who's bad? So um, they're just trying to be worse than each other. And if you remember, we're going to sum up some stuff next week, how God had said some things, even through Elijah, that haven't quite exactly happened yet, you know, where he's like, you guys can't keep just doing whatever you want and thinking it's going to work out, you know. And God might be patient for a while, and he's being patient, but he's like, like we might, the story might have moved on from some of those things God said, but when you're like, hey, that stuff hadn't happened yet. Well, it's going to happen, you know? And God does care. And there's even, if you read through some of these, because it kind of paraphrases whole guy's lives and stuff like that. He became the king, then he followed and did the bad stuff. And then like one of them is like, you know, but because David, remember David? King David's like, you know, God's like, I'm going to hang on on this one and wait. 
But he's getting to where he's starting to, he's going to start dealing with some things. So, but I want to go back to the second story. This is the one that I think we need to see the most out of. And like I had said, with Elijah, and he had the prophets at Mount Carmel, remember, and the fire came down, and I told the youth guys, if you're going to go, like, and like, if you're going to only remember one Elijah story, you need to remember this one and not embarrass me when you go to college or something like that. Well, if you're only going to remember one Elijah story, this is probably the one I think you need to remember. If you see, I included the word surrounded here. <clears throat> You'll see, you know that song was like, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Y'all remember that? This is where that's from. So, see, you didn't know that, did you? It may look, you were singing it. You knew it was true, but you didn't know where the story came from. So here's where it's from, all right? Elijah surra- Elisha surrounded. So remember this one. I'm going to read this one. 2 Kings 6, 8 through 22, all right? Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Now, this fit after the axe head part, all right? Right before the famine thing. Now, the king of Aram was, was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place, which is kind of awesome that that's in the Bible, in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place and indicated by the man of God. Time and again, when Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places, in such and such places. And then the, this enraged the king of Aram, or of, and, and <laughs> he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? And, and, uh, and they say back, none, none of us, my Lord, the, 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 he, the officer said, you know, but, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So here's the situation. The king, the Arameans are attacking Israel, and every time they go to do such and such a thing, God tells Elisha, and Elisha tells the king of Israel. And he's like, hey, don't go over there because there's guys over there. And then he goes and checks and says, hey, there's guys over there. Let's not go over there. And then so the king, the, 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 king, the Aramean guy is like, Somebody has to be lying, like telling, like there has to be a spy here because otherwise this wouldn't work. Like, how does he know everything I'm doing? And so his guys are like, hey, it ain't us. There's a prophet over there, the man of God. Remember, there's only one, the, the prophet in Israel. You know, he's like, this is the guy and he's telling, God is telling him everything you're doing. And so this is another summary of that. Life with God is not business as usual. And here's the other thing about that. This is like the second piece of this. Life with God is not business as usual, and people notice, okay? The other king noticed. It wasn't just like theoretical or like Jesus makes me feel better about myself, and I have a happier life because of that. You know, this other guy's watching him, and they're like, something's going on here that doesn't add up. I can't see how this is happening. And he starts to try to figure it out. They must be, one of my guys must be a spy, because there's no other way for him to know all this stuff. Life with God is not business as usual. Your life with God is not business as usual. And the, uh, I actually started to think about this, that you know, how seriously the king, the Aramean king, takes God in this place. Like, he's dealing with a real situation. Like, he's really conflict, like, he's really trying to figure out, how is this happening? How is... What's going on that I'm experiencing happening? And then he finds out, oh, it's God doing it. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I have to deal with this. I mean, how, how, in a way, in a bad way, in a negative way, you know, the king of Aram takes God more seriously than a lot of us do on a daily basis because he's having to deal with it, like for real. 
But here's the thing. When we live with God, when we live with God, like our lives are not business as usual. And other people are going to notice. Leslie Newbegin has this quote. I love this. He said, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions. Like this guy. What is going on? For which the gospel is the answer. Live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. People go, why are you the way you are? What is going on in your life? Like, you're going through the worst thing that you've ever experienced in your life, and you don't seem to have given up. How is that possible? I'm like, well, it's because I know who Jesus is. That's the, that's the only answer. There's nothing is like, well, you know me. I'm, like, really good at that kind of stuff. It's not like that, you know. Verse 13, go find out where he is, the king said. So I can send men and capture him. He's taking God seriously here. He's like, okay, this guy's ruining everything for me. Let's go get him. The report came back. He's in Dothan, not Alabama Dothan, the other Dothan. They sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So he sends, again, he's taking it seriously. He's like, okay, where's the guy at then? He's like, oh, he's over in Dothan. And he's like, all right, let's send a bunch of guys to get him. Okay. So verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out in early, morning, early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. An army. So he's like, I'm going to go out and get some water. What is happening? And there's an army of people around him, and he doesn't know what to do. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is just like us. Like all of a sudden we find ourselves in a situation we weren't expecting, and it's not good at all. And is the situation legit? Like is that a real bad situation? Yes, not a trick question. This is real. So he's actually in a bad place. And, and even to make it even more applicable, he's actually in a real bad place because of his connection to God and his relationship with the prophet. So not just random, like, well, you know, bad things happen, you know, but like because of who you are and what you're doing and who you're working with, you're now in a really bad situation, standing up for God. So standing up for God, life is not business as usual, and other people are going to notice. Some people are going to try to like mess with you and he finds himself being messed with and he's like oh no like now I, like there is a lot of cultural we just prayed for the schools guys i don't know if you pay attention but there's a lot of talk about that kind of stuff you know what i mean we can feel surrounded right like there could be things being taught that we don't maybe agree with or things like that so he's like oh no what do we do and it's not wrong it's legit he's in a real bad situation right <clears throat> So what shall we do? And here's the, here's the thing. That kind of question, what shall we do, is not exactly saying like, uh, probably, I mean, I don't interpret it as, hey, man, what's the plan? How, you know, he's kind of like, what are we, like, like, it's implying there isn't anything we could do. Like we've lost. Which is how a lot of us talk about a lot of these kind of situations we find ourselves in as Christian people in society these days. Like what did this, this book calls it post-Christian, you know. The more post-Christian we're going to find ourselves, you're going to find yourself in these situations a lot. You're going to be the only guy in the room that's like, you know, I actually have a problem with this. Why? You know, this kind of situation, you know. Maybe we shouldn't steal from people. I don't know, you know. But some of them won't be that easy, you know. And, uh, and so he finds himself in this bad situation, and then he's, he despairs, what shall we do? Which is really like, there's nothing we can do. We're trapped. We're, we've, it's over, you know. But then the prophet says back, verse 16, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he's like, who, who are those guys? Because I see me and you, and let's just assume there's a handful of other guys over there. And he's not killing it over I mean, like, there's no way. Like, what are you talking about? So you have this situation. Like, we interpret our situation through these earthly eyes. 
and it's not good. It isn't good. You know, your earthly situation is bad. Your earthly situation following Jesus, earthly situation, probably will be worse most of the time, right? You should know that. And it's, it's okay. It's, it doesn't matter anymore. That's the whole point. <laughs> so your earthly situation is bad. And then he hears the truth. Those that are with us are more powerful. Or what does it say exactly? Are, those with us are more than those with them. There's like more of us. And he's like, I'm counting like a handful of guys here. And again, like that guy's not killing. We're not going to. So we hear the truth. We see our situation with earthly eyes. It's bad. Then we hear the truth from God. And then we apply it in earthly ways. And it's like, this doesn't work at all. Like, what are you talking about? And we find ourselves stuck there. So I wrote, what? <laughs> that's, that's my note. The, so this is verse 17. Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hill was hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So now, did that suddenly appear? Or did he just suddenly see it? And if you're going, Chariots of Fire, haven't I heard that before? You have. This, is, uh, this was a movie that was out in the 80s, and you should go watch it. And that is what it's referencing. It's actually referencing a poem, but the poem is referencing this. So yes, this is where this is from. And it's really good. If you haven't watched it, might consider it boring, young people, but it's about God and stuff. It's good. Check that out. Movie note. Okay, so a couple notes I have here. Because I don't think that... And you, I mean, you can't read the story and think that, okay, all of a sudden, all this, these people showed up, you know, you know, like at the end of, of, of a, <laughs> I don't, my brain always goes to 80s movies, I'm sorry, you're like at the end of Field of Dreams, and he's like, when all these ball players get here, you know, and they're like, they've been here the whole time, you just couldn't see them, you know, and you're like, what? You know, and so they were there, he just didn't know they were there. So the first note I have about this is this, you can't see what you can't see. Does that sound, that sounds pretty simple, but you have to understand <laughs> You can't see what you can't see. You don't know if you can't see something. How would you know? Charlotte was watching this uh, Disney Channel thing that had like, it was like a nature thing about uh, Hawaii and it had this whole thing about this shrimp that had eyes that were way more powerful than our eyes. And I was like, what, a shrimp does? You know, and it could see all these other colors we couldn't see and all this kind of stuff. And I was thinking, while I was reading this, you know, it was happening at the same time. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting, you know, because you think, I got all the colors covered, you know, if you're not colorblind, you know, you're like, I can see everything. And then this shrimp shows up and he's like, you know, name and color, you know, like, I don't know, you know, his, his palette was bigger. And you're like, you're like, what are you talking about? I can see purple. And he's like, well, that's just, you know. And so you, the point is, you can't see what you can't see. So you don't know what you can't see. So if you're going to live your life, your Christian life, you're following Jesus' life with earthly eyes, you might be missing, here you are missing, a lot of what's going on. So that's the first thing. You don't know, you can't see what you can't see. And getting mad about it, or getting mad at somebody who can't see, that probably wouldn't help. Like if Elijah was like, you idiot. Like, who do you think we're dealing with here? You know what I mean? Like that might not have, you know, he could have been. Eli Elijah did get kind of, you know, mocky with the prophets. But that's not generally the tone. So he, getting, us getting mad at people that can't see it's not always the best. It's in, he invites him into, he prays for him. He's like, God, open this guy's eyes so you can see what's going on. Now, here's something I think about. Because you could read this story. And this isn't, this is an interpretation, all right? So this is my interpretation. Because it doesn't say, <clears throat> does Elisha live in a world where he just sees all this stuff all the time? Like, there's an angel there. 
There's an angel there. What's up, bro? You know, like, does he live like this? I don't think that my personal opinion is, and this is my personal opinion, okay? I think if he did, he might have said, God, open his eyes so he can see what I see. Something like that. Maybe. I think Elisha lives in such a way that he doesn't have to see all the time. Okay? Because he knows. He's like, okay, if you need, like, there's a couple times where Jesus is praying, like, well, um, and he's like, God, I know you always hear me, but I'm saying this so that all these people can hear it. I'm saying, like, that you're hearing me, you know? I think there's things like that that are going on in the Bible. You know, Elisha's like, oh, man, we're good. And he's like, how are we good? Look at the situation we're in. He's like, I see the situation. He's like, but there's, there, trust me, there's more with us than is with you. He's like, it is, God, just open his eyes. He's like, I don't have to see it. I know it's there. It doesn't matter. Like, I know. I've been there, done that, that kind of thing. And I think that that's more what I see in this is that not, and this is a subtle thing that you need to hear, because there's moments in your life where you need God to open your eyes to what's going on, Right? And then you might forget again. And you need him to open your eyes again. And after a while, you can get to a place where you go, I, I know you got this. You don't have to prove. Like, are you trusting God or are you trusting what you can see? See, God letting the servants see you is kind of a mercy thing. Like I said, just because he finally saw it doesn't mean they just all showed up at that moment. They were there the whole time. God knows it. Elisha knows it. The servant doesn't know it. And the army that's there doesn't know it. So... It's not like all of a sudden now they're there. They were always there, but the guy needed the help. So God's like, I'll help you out this time. But do you always need to be helped like that? And here's the worst part of it. Like if God were to do that, and he doesn't, is because then you're saying, I'll believe you if you prove it to me. And go through the Bible and find every time people say stuff like that, it doesn't usually end up well. You know what I mean? God's merciful. God's kind, and God knows. So he's not like, you know, a mean <laughs> tyrannical. You know, he's not like that. The point is that trusting him versus trusting what you can see. Because if he just lives with his eyes open all the time in the sense of seeing it himself, you never have to have faith. And you end up trusting yourself more than you're trusting God. Like, you know, do you trust God or do you trust your understanding? You know, we all have different things, but that's important to know. We often only trust what we can see. And so this was an invitation that Elisha was, that God was mercifully giving this guy a chance to see what was going on so that he could go, oh, okay. And the next time I can trust God, you know. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. When you trust, you don't have to see. That's why they call that trust fall thing, the trust fall, because you don't see where you're falling. <laughs> so, and then the last point is this. It's like, you might be like, What's, what happens to all these guys, right? This is, I call this meekness. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. And verse 18, you see this. The enemy came down toward him, and Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness. So now the guys that think they can see, now they literally can't see. There's a lot of seeing going on or not seeing in this whole thing. And Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road and, and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for, which is very Obi-Wan-like, you know. You're not the droids you're looking for. So he led them to Samaria, which is, so 
They entered the city, and Elisha said, Lord open, these eyes. Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes and looked, and they were inside Samaria, which is bad. That's where the, that's where the king of Israel is. So he led the whole army into the city where the king of Israel is, okay? When the king of Israel saw them, he's like, uh, shall I kill them, my father? And, and uh, Elisha's like, no, don't kill them. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword? And he's like, set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So in a way... Like, he could have just murdered them all. But instead, he's like, no. He's like, give them some grace, too. They don't know that they're blind either, you know. And so they get their eyesight back. They feed them, and they send them back. Now, here's what's interesting. He, so he prepared a great feast before them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. And then here's the thing. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. They're like, yeah, I'm not going back. To, I'm not doing that anymore, you know. And so this thing about life with God, your life with God, is not business as usual. And people notice and then that leads to some real change in them, society, and all these kinds of things. But it also reminds us of Jesus. And Kayla, you guys can, oh, hold on. You guys can come on up here whenever you're ready. This, made, this whole thing made me think about John 18 when Jesus is praying the night before he goes to the cross. Because you got Elisha. He's a man of God. He's a guy, a guy, one guy. I mean, he probably, like I said, he has a servant, but he probably has a couple guys with him. So they go, let's go get that guy with an army. There's like one guy, lots of guys, you know, and, and the one guy, he's like, with God, we have lots and lots of guys. And so this is this kind of same imbalance of things happening. Well, you see Jesus, who's done all this great, he's come, he's lived among the people. He's told them the truth of who he is. He's like, I'm God. And I'm here to save everybody. And they're like, what? You know, and then it kind of goes, and we'll see this as we go through Mark. It gets worse and worse for him personally, finally to the point that he knows he's going to die and they're going to kill him. Jesus knows this. He's God. It's like Elisha. He's like, I'm not surprised, guys. You know, woo, <laughs> you snuck up on me this day. And it's not like that. He knows exactly what's going on, but it's serious. It's a real thing. And Jesus goes to pray and he prays with God because he's like this is what I'm about to do the saving of humanity the enduring of the wrath of God and the restoring of the connection of humanity to God and all the things that he's going to do and that he does through his death and resurrection he's on his mind he knows what he's doing he even says like nobody's taking my life away from me I'm laying it down I'm laying it down you know like and so finally the guys are betraying Jesus and then the religious authorities and all these people, they get together like, all right, let's go get Jesus with an army. It's very similar to like Elijah, you know. One guy, let's go get him with an army. And you find out this, John 18, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. This is where he goes to pray. And when he's on the other side, on the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guided a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And Jesus, all that, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Remember I just read, the meek will inherit the earth? There's this understanding of meekness as being weakness. It's not weakness. A good definition of meekness is power under control for the sake of good, right? Power under control for the sake of doing something good. And you might also call it suffering on behalf of other people. 
Jesus knows what's going to happen, and he knows what he's going to have to endure, and he also knows that it's better for everyone if he goes through it, and he also knows what these guys are doing. Like, they're like, let's sneak up on him. He doesn't know that we're coming. And like Judas, who's one of his disciples, one of his best friends has betrayed him, left him and sold him out to the bad guys, and they're coming to get him. Jesus knows all of this. He's not surprised by any of it, and he doesn't hide. He doesn't go, we should hide because they're coming to get me. He goes out to them. Who are you looking for? And he knows the answer. They say this. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, he said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Just at Jesus saying, I am he. Remember when Moses asked God, who are you that's sending me to go set the, like, they're going to ask me who you are. Who do I say sent me? Like, I'm like, well, God did it. Like, God who? You know, God, and he answers Moses with, my name is, I am that I am. Like, it's almost, in fa- you can't even quite fathom it totally. I just exist because I exist. I do what I want. I am who I am. Not like Popeye. Like he, <laughs> he's like, I, I pre-exist everything. I am, I am God. I am the God, the only God. Not one of the gods, the God. And Jesus is saying that about himself in this statement. And just by saying it, I am he. These guys fall on the ground. And Jesus is like, come on, guys, get up, you know. Again, Jesus asked him, who is it you want? Guys on the ground who thought they were going to get the drop on God? <laughs> Jesus, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, I told you, I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. This happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then we come in. I think this is, a, this is where I always think. So God's got it under control. These are difficult things he's dealing with. We're like the servant going out getting the water in the morning. Nice day to work with God and the prophet. And they're like, oh, what is happening? And they're like, oh, my gosh, we're like, we're, we've lost everything. You know, or they're like, Jesus, Jesus, is, we're following Jesus. He says, let's go pray. And he's been telling us all the time. He's like, I don't know. Sometimes it gets about weird about dying. I don't know what he's talking about that. But, you know, and then all of a sudden he's confronted by these guys. They fall on the ground and we're like, what's he going to do right now? And then he's like, obviously going to go with them. Like Jesus, God himself. God is here, and he's going to be arrested by, and this guy, this guy was our friend, and now he's a punk. Like, this is not good. So, <laughs> this is where we come in. We like to come in now. Like, I know what we can do. <laughs> so, P- Peter pulls out his sword, and he's like, let's, let's, let's just kill everybody. That's what you do, right? You know, like the king of Israel is like, am I supposed to kill all these people? Like, I don't know what, what am I supposed to do here? And he's like, feed them. So, Peter tries, like we often do, to step in. And get in between God and everybody and, you know, I'll kill everyone. And then, you know, you see it in some of the other gospels a little more. Jesus has to stop him and rebuke him. And in this one, he just says this. He's, so Peter tries to cut, tries to kill people or do something. I don't know if he's killing, but he's, he's fighting. But he ends up cutting a guy's, ears off, a guy's ear off. And verse 11, Jesus panted, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The detachment of soldiers with Jesus with its commander, wait, the detachment of soldiers with, with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas and the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year, and Caiaphas was the one. Yeah, and so, and it goes on. And Jesus experiences the greatest injustice in human history. The closest thing that we even have to even understand what Jesus goes through is 
like a lynching in our, in our country where somebody's like unjustly taken by a mob and killed in a way that's not only horrible, but it's also meant to give fear into people's, you know, terrifying. It's, a, it's an act of terror what Jesus experiences. And Jesus allows this to happen because he knows what he's doing for the sake of us. Because he knows, he goes, they're going to think, they're going to think they can surround you. They think they can surround me. They think they come with an army. And don't just see the human army. Think of like the demonic army that's there. You know, because probably even in the Elisha story, when there's somebody standing for God and working for God, there's people doing things. But remember in Ephesians, we say these we these war the warfare we're involved in isn't carnal. It's spiritual. There's things happening like, you know, he's like, the prophet could have said, show him what's really going on. You know, and he might not have just seen the angel army. He might have seen the demonic army as well. And don't assume it's not there. But when you start to see the, the, <laughs> how much more the angel army is there, he's like, oh, gosh, what am I worried about? And Jesus knows this. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is this. And so he's sitting there, and, he, and as he's experiencing from an earthly eye standpoint, lower, lower, lower. Not, not, we thought he was the king of the universe. Now he's arrested. We thought he was the king of... We, he was healing people. Now he's getting beaten. We, like, he was... He was, he gave some, somebody's a dead guy and he gave him back to life. And now they're hanging him on a cross to torture him and kill him. And then he dies. With earthly eyes, you lose it. And Jesus had told him the whole time, he's like, guys, this is going to happen. But he's telling him from the heavenly eyes. And they're going, stop telling that to people. You're making me uncomfortable, you know. And then when he tells them the heart, they're like, everybody's leaving now because you're saying weird stuff. Stop doing that. You know, it's, it's because they hear what he's saying from the heaven, but they only see it with earthly eyes. You know, like when I follow Jesus, nothing bad ever happens to me. That's not real. That's like earthly eyes stuff because you're hearing heavenly promises and you're applying them like earthly ways. Or if like one of the worst ones, they call it like the prosperity gospel. Like if you follow Jesus and you give him your money, then he will make you rich and wealth, or rich and famous, maybe. And at least you'll have a lot of stuff. And you'll be healthy. And you're like, what? You know, it's like sort of partially true, but not exactly. He's like, you have eternal life. <laughs> Do you want that? You know, but in this world, you're, they're going to hate you and you're going to die. But you don't have to despair. Well, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, don't be afraid because I'm with you. That doesn't mean you're always going to see it. There's going to be times where you're in the shadow of death, like Jesus on the cross, and you don't see it anymore. And Jesus himself, God in the flesh, cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even he experienced that darkness, ultimate darkness. In the latter part of that psalm, God says, I haven't forsaken you. It's just like this. <laughs> We're going to go through bad things, guys. And sometimes, right in the middle of it, God will open your eyes to see what's really going on. But if he doesn't, you can know because you heard the story. And you know the story of who Jesus is. Because when he shows back up Sunday morning, unexpectedly, they go and they find the tomb that he's supposed to be in is empty. And they go, what happened now? Is it even worse? Not only was he killed, not only was he arrested, he's beaten, he's tortured, he's killed. Now they stole his body. Like, that's even worse. And then he walks up and he's like, guys, what are you, what's up? And they're like, Did you, are you the gardener? Did you steal his body? He's like, hey, it's me. And they're like, what? You know, he blows their mind. And, and, and they didn't understand at the time. We do now, and they did pretty quickly. 
that what Jesus had just done had changed the entire human history. And if you know the, if you know this, then you don't have to worry so much. That when you can, when you're out getting water in the morning, or whatever that guy was doing, you know, you go out and you look and you find yourself surrounded by an army. You can know, hey, there's another army that you just you guys don't know. That's why we sing that song. It may look like I'm surrounded, because you are, but I'm also surrounded by God. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear, for I am with you. Jesus came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So do you trust what you see, or do you trust the one who sees everything? Do we trust what we know, what we can understand in our tiny little brains, or we trust what God knows, what God can, what God understands? Because God's with us through the tough stuff. He doesn't leave us. And he's not saying that from, like, just from a God perspective, like, which would be fine if he could, you know, he's like, this is all perfect. I am God. We're like, yeah, trust me, guys. I know what I'm doing. But not only that, Jesus has come and experienced everything with us. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be unfairly treated. He knows what it's like to be, you know, left for dead and all that. He knows, what, he knows the worst things he's experienced. So he's not just saying this from a all-knowing, all-loving God perspective. He's saying it from an all-experienced perspective as well, which should, you should hear that in when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. He's not just with you like because he's, you know, beside you or something like that. He's like, I'm with you. I know what you're going through. And he's with you. You <laughs> get like more than one with. So let me pray. Because this is, what this story offers us is the truth of what God's done, what he do, how he is and what he does. And when we are living out what he's calling us to do, we're going to experience hard things, but God's with us and we don't have to worry about it. And so much of our lives has been worrying about it. So, Father, I pray that you would free us from the worry of the armies that surround us. We know that these armies are real. They are real. The things we experience in life that are difficult are truly difficult. They're painful. We are rejected. People don't treat us fairly. We do experience rejection. We do experience judgment. And we get called things that we're not. And you've experienced all these things as well. Lord, we take comfort that you are with us. Not only with us in, in the spirit, like walking beside us, but you've also walked this road yourself. You're not speaking from a distance. You're speaking from experience. Lord, we know that you are with us. We know that when we are surrounded, that you are also surrounding with even more. There are greater that are those that are with us than those that are in the world. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Like, and even some of us need our eyes opened to what's going on. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth of the, the, your armies that surround us, the truth of what's going on. We know that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to wage those weapons well, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate, all that stuff. Lord, we just pray that we would stand, stand for who you are, stand truthfully and lovingly and honoringly, Lord. And I pray that we would serve you well in this world. And as we pray for these students going into the schools, especially those that are going into schools that are a dark place, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them to be able to live for you. And God, I pray that you would uh, bless this church 
as we enter this new season and help us to be those that would stand and that we would trust you and your word more than we would trust what we see with our earthly eyes. Lord, give us your heavenly perspective in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to stand.